Oh my days. Uh, welcome back to Tom's Takes. This is me, Tom Patterson. It is episode seven. Uh, whatever time it is for you right now, wherever you are, I hope you're having a great day. I certainly am. It's been a really nice weekend so far. Very chilled and relaxed and got to watch some netball and you know, did some nice self-care, done a face mask today, gone to the gym, feeling good, feeling really, really good. Uh, gonna go out and have Tomasek. If you haven't had Tomasek, if you're around Parramatta sort of area, it's Malaysian, Singaporean uh, type of food. Gonna have that tonight with a few friends and that should be really, really nice. So looking forward for that. It's only yesterday since I did the last podcast, but I'm thinking too much has happened in the NBA like I always say, with even in the NBA in the playoffs, it's, did you play yesterday? No? Well, you're playing today. So all these games are happening very quick back-to-back, and it's easy to get behind on it. So I don't want to get too behind on how these are going, especially because of uh, some of the results that have happened. So I want to recap what's happening in the NBA lately. What happened last night or this morning in England time, I guess? We had... Uh, the FA Cup final between Liverpool and Chelsea. Uh, Going to check back in on the Game 7 with Parv's team in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, her Maple Leafs were taking on Tampa Lightning today in the Game 7 as well. Um, and then got a couple questions that I'll end the show with. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. Starting out with some hockey today, it was it was nice to keep in touch with how the hockey's been going and looking up yesterday going, oh, it's going to be a Game 7 tomorrow and chatting with Parv about it. So we spent the morning watching at least the first half of, of the game and then Parv had to go and do some work. So then I carried out and watched the rest of the game between Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Tampa Bay Lightning um, in that Game 7. So pretty interesting game and it was great to watch it with Parv like she is pretty new to hockey and lots to learn about it so it was nice to sit down and teach her at least all the little things that I know about it and and try to learn learn a little bit more about it together as well um close game in the end it ended up being it was a shame because part of this team went down they ended up losing but you know that's okay kind of you know she's already got her Colorado team through so that's that's pretty solid they look really strong so that's all right, but um, yeah, Tampa Bay were able to to steal the win because this game seven was in Toronto in front of all the the crazy Canucks in the in the crowd. Um, so always a you know a massive respect to any team that can go away from home in such a pressure type moment type environment and and come away with the victory. So I guess that's that championship DNA and. Uh, Tampa Bay were able to win this game 2-1. It really just came down to taking advantage of second and third shots. Like, it was unfortunate the Maple Leafs keeper at times that led to the goals conceded was, you know, a Tampa Bay player would do a shot, like a long-range shot, and instead of catching it cleanly and it being, you know, a toss-up or throwing it down, um, you know, around the halfway line for getting the ball back in play, it ricocheted off his knee or his arm and fell to another Tampa Bay Lightning player who was able to easily make the follow-up shot and, and score the goal. So unfortunate, it just comes down to 
better goalkeeping. And like I said at the start of like the this NHL journey when I've talked about it from the start is, you know, it's great to pick a team with like who's got the best offensive players and who can score the most goals. But often they always say, you know, defense wins championships and, and in particular with hockey, good goalkeeping wins championships. So it's a shame, but also it's like, it is nice that the dream is still alive for the three-peat, the three in a row for these Tampa Bay Lightnings. Uh, it'll be crazy to see if they can pull it off. Um, yeah, it'll be cool to see how far they go. Crossing the Atlantic now, moving on to soccer that we had just this morning. And thanks to everyone who's been who's been pointing it out to me. Whenever I've been talking about Liverpool, especially with the Champions League, I've been saying, you know, be nice if they can do the double of like the Premier League and the Champions League. But lots of people have been like, Tom, they already won the Carling Cup like three or four months ago against Chelsea and they're playing Chelsea tomorrow in the FA Cup. So they're trying to go for four, four trophies this year, the quadruple. Um, man, yeah, thanks for pointing that out to me. Yeah, they already won one trophy, so they were going for another. And it was a really intriguing game because... Um, one of their best players for Liverpool, their midfielder Fabinho, was out injured. And then at the start of the game, like Mo Salah, that Egyptian striker on the Liverpool team, um, or like he plays right wing, but he plays forward for them. He got injured. He pulled his hamstring and had to go off. Such a heartbreaking moment because, you know, he's basically their best player and you could see it in his eyes as he's walking off going, come on, guys, like... Oh, I wish I could be out there, but you have to get it done for me. Um, and then another injury for Liverpool, it was like, oh, how many people are going to go down on this team? Their best centre-back, like probably the best centre-back in the world at the moment, uh, Virgil van Dijk, he gets injured in the second half and it's like, wow, this game is just, you know, here for the taking for Chelsea. Basically, Liverpool's lying down. They're almost waving the the white flag just come and score goals. We haven't got our best striker here. We haven't got our best defender. Come on, do your worst. (laughs) And, um, you know, Chelsea had a few chances, but most of the chances, uh, most of the more, I don't know, like the better goal-scoring chances and the more dangerous attacks were had by Liverpool throughout the game. They had considerably more shots and shots on target, Um, but it went nil all and went to extra time and both teams still couldn't score. So I got my wish. I always wish for close games and I always wish, wish for penalties. It is uh, the ultimate drama with soccer, my goodness. It's basically like a lottery at that point. It's it's no skill really involved. It's just oh, nerves and mental, mental toughness, really. <laughs> and there's no pressure on the goalkeepers. You can never say, oh, a goalkeeper should have saved that, like... Unless, go and if you haven't uh, tried to save a penalty before, go out to your local soccer field and grab someone to go and shoot a penalty against you and you'll realise, wow, there is a lot of space to cover and that person is only, what, 12 yards away, like 10 metres. Basically, it's, it's on the striker. They have to score. And if they don't, you know, good on for the goalie for saving it. But no one ever expects a goalkeeper to save it. Um, crazy penalty shootout to watch, though. Like, first, Chelsea missed, or Liverpool keeper came up with a big save. You can see that Azpilicueta with the second kick. 
And then Chelsea's keeper uh, in the fifth uh, kick from Liverpool is able to pull out a save. But then just the next penalty, Mason Mount, the Chelsea player, is unable to score the goal, gets his penalty saved. And then Liverpool player right afterwards steps up and slots at home. So Liverpool wins that shootout. Liverpool wins their second trophy. They're two out of four. They've they've ticked two boxes so far this season. And they're just waiting on the Premier League and the Champions League. So they're in the Champions League final, which is only... I think a, a week away? Yes, next Sunday. And Premier League is going to finish at the end of this month, so they're in the driving position. A team hasn't done the quadruple in quite a long time. I think Manchester United back in maybe 2008 or an early 2000s done the quadruple, but no team since then has done it, so it's been a while. Um, and this has been a really talented star-studded Liverpool team um, with a great bench and reserve as well. So let's see. Let's see if they can complete the quadruple. Uh, You're definitely rooting for them. You'd love to see it. Okay, we've we've covered some hockey. We've covered a little bit of some soccer with the FA Cup. Now let's get back in into the NBA uh, playoffs here. And the first match I want to talk about is the Dallas Mavericks versing the Phoenix Suns, and I'm going to talk about games five and six. So the series was at two all last time we spoke, or last time we left off, and it goes back to the Phoenix Suns at that point, the higher seed. They get game five, and they're able to win this game. They end up winning it 110 to 80, um, but not without a little bit of resistance from the Mavericks early on. Mavericks came out uh, really strong in the first quarter, able to put up an eight-point lead. But from ever since then, Phoenix made some adjustments, switched their defense around a little bit, um, put pressure on everyone else but Luka, um, was able to shut down the ball movement, shut down the player movement from Dallas, and really sort of built up a lead. And and Devin Booker, the star stuns player um, for Phoenix, he really just stood up and grabbed this game by the scruff of the neck and never let it go. Um, he put them on a 17-0 run in the third quarter. And yeah, from that third quarter, it was 33 points to 14. And then there was just a massive lead from there where the Suns are up 90 to about 68 or something. So uh, really no chance. And both teams sort of packed it in for the last quarter and played their bench as to not risk any injuries. Um, but really... Really smart tactics from the Suns where uh, they just built a, a wall in front of Luca and Jalen Brunson and were going, you guys can shoot and are really talented in the mid-range where those sort of mid to long range two-point shots. We're going to double you or put three players on you all in sort of a straight line in sort of a, in a wall and we're not going to let you get going. We're not going to let you get easy layups. If you want to beat us, you're going to have to shoot like Steph Curry's uh, car park threes and hit them all. Dallas weren't um, weren't able to do that. Um, So then Phoenix got easy rebounds, lots of transition points, and then they're able to get those easy layups, easy two points. Um, And by the time Dallas worked out that was Phoenix tactic, um, you know, the game was over. Phoenix had built up that massive lead. 
Devin Booker, like if you think on like a PlayStation game or like a Guitar Hero, like his character's on fire. He's got like the star points. He's got the star bonus at that point. He's going insane or he's eating the like Mario mushroom. He's leveled up. He's a, you know, grown man at that point. He's just dunking on people, shooting at will, um, totally in the zone. So easy win there by the, the Suns, but as they should, it's their home court. And they're the highest seed. They're the number one team playing Dallas number four. Um, something that happened in the fourth quarter, though, was uh, one of their role players, who's quite important to them from the Suns, Jay Crowder, ended up getting a shoulder injury and looked quite menacing a bit. Like looked like he he's popped his shoulder out or dislocated it, reaching for the ball and sort of got sandwiched between two players running for it. So, oh, that looked really nasty. And he's a really good shot maker and... Um, passer, like important distributor in their offense and a veteran player has, brings a lot of experience, um, and leadership from Miami heat in the last couple of years and got transferred over to Phoenix just two seasons ago. So he's a really important player for the Suns. Um, but yeah, easy win for the Suns there in game five. And I was interested to see what Dallas is going to do, what their approach is from in game six, where, they had this wall in front of Luca and Jalen Brunson, their sort of two best players. And are they going to try and break down the wall or pass around it, try to get behind it or around it, or just acknowledge what Phoenix are doing and going, let's just try and shoot over this wall. Let's try and shoot our three pointers and hope they go in. And they did that for game six. So game six back on Dallas's home turf now in the Mavericks home court. And Dallas is able to win in sort of like the same fashion or same score in game five. So game five, Phoenix beat the uh, Mavs 110 to 80. Game six, it was like the reverse. Mavs beat the Suns 113 to 86. And nobody changed their tactics. Suns came out the same. They said, we're going to build the the wall in front of your, your best players. And let's see if you can shoot over it. But Dallas was ready for it this time and said, yep, we went back We went back home. We went back to our trainers and said, if this is what they're going to do, we better practice our three-point shooting. And they came out insane from three-point. They were just raining down threes, dropping bombs on the sun's head. And then because they're making those shots, there's less transition points. Mil- uh, not Milwaukee, but the suns aren't able to get easy rebounds and you know, sprint down the court while Dallas doesn't have its defense organized and get easy points, easy layups, or get fouled. Um, It gives the Mavericks time to properly communicate, reset their defense, work out who they're marking, talk to each other. Yep, I've got Devin Booker. or If he does this, then I'm going to switch. Or if they do this screen, then you go with him. Um, It makes such a difference at home too, though. When when your fans are chanting your name and the momentum's going your way, it's way easier. Uh, you know, the hoop looks wider. The hoop turns into like a hula hoop instead of like a, a bottle cap that you're trying to shoot into. So great to see those shots fall. But now it's game seven and game seven is going to be tomorrow and back on the sun's court. So technically this series hasn't started yet. Like what I say that, the series starts when uh, the home team loses on their home court, and it hasn't happened yet. 
So it's going to take Dallas showing up in, in Phoenix and shooting exactly how they did or playing exactly how they did every time they played at home. Super aggressive on both their points in the paint, getting trying to get fouled and get easy points and try to make life hard for Chris Paul and Devin Booker, wear down their energy in the start of the games, shoot insane from three-pointers, lots of talking, lots of movement on their offense, have everyone running around trying to make plays, be a distraction, not just be a one-man team. That's what it's going to take back in Phoenix. Otherwise, the Suns are just going to show up and take care of business like they have every other home game. So, again, in Dallas, or every time that Suns have played in Dallas, the the role players, the others, apart from Chris Paul and Devin Booker, haven't showed up, haven't shot well. Even Devin Booker and Chris Paul haven't played the best in Dallas. But you know, when they come back home in front of their fans and for a Game 7, that type of gravity of the situation is like, nah, I'm not allowing any more bad games. That's what separates sort of good players from great players. Great players only have one bad game. Like they never have two bad games in a row. They have a bad game and it's like, damn, that was unacceptable. I played trash. I let my team down. I let my city down. Let myself down. Never happening again. No, making sure I rectify this, I'm going to go and get 50 points tomorrow night. So let's see. Let's... I'm up for the challenge. Game sevens are so unpredictable. It's just, it's always a coin flip. But having that home crown advantage is is always uh, such a such a bonus for whatever team has it. So, Suns should take care of business. But Dallas have the momentum. They're the team that won their last game, and lots of people will say, you know, you're only as good as your last game. So. They have the formula. Just bring it on the road, Dallas. You can do it. Just pretend or visualize that you're, you're back at home. <laughs> you can do this. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Next up, we have, going back to the Eastern Conference in the playoffs, we had the Miami Heat versus the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 6 of that series. And that one was really interesting because we had the you know we had the first two games of the series where Joel Embiid didn't play. Miami won those games easily. Then went back to Philadelphia for two games. Joel Embiid came back. They won those two games, tied the series at two all. Then it went back to Miami. Miami sort of curb stomps Philadelphia, easy win that game, and that was the one where there was that real lackluster effort by. Joel Embiid especially after not winning the MVP award. And then we go back to Philly now. It's game six. Philadelphia are down uh, three to two in this series. It's an elimination game. Win or go home. Trying to force a game seven. Uh, And they don't. They lose this game 120 to 85. And it's just because they had no effort, no energy. And... Oh, so frustrating to watch. So many turnovers and uh, just people not being on the same page. Like you had lots of instances where one player would have the ball and no one's moving, no one's talking to each other, um, no one's calling for the ball. And then 
someone goes to pass the ball, they hesitate, and then someone starts to run, and then the player that's running away, then the person passes it to where that player just ran from and passes it to the person in the first row. Easy turnover. Or just lots of bad shots, like getting double teamed and rather than passing it to the open man, no, I'd, I'd rather shoot off one leg and with one arm and throw it up, throw up the Hail Mary. It's not even a Hail Mary at that point. It's like uh, the Holy Trinity. Hail, Hail Mary, Hail Jesus, Hail uh, God, all, all three of them. Hail Joseph, everybody you want to put into that. It's like they all needed to, to say a prayer on that shot because it was never going to go in. Um, and it just shows to me like the coach after the game looked demoralized and he said himself, you know, you shouldn't have to ask your players to play with effort and with energy and with desperation, first of all, on home court, but in an elimination game, like this is the playoffs. It's not the preseason. It's not, you know, you're showing up back to your, your university where you played at college and you're having a little muck around with the college kids nowadays. No, this is the Miami Heat. This is the number one team. And you're still in the series. Uh, you still have a chance to go to the play, like go to the championship games coming up. Put in effort. No one should have to ask you to play hard. Um, and that's what separates in the playoffs, and I think as well, good players from great players is you have to love it. You have to have an insane love for the sport and really be passionate about it. And just being talented at basketball or any sport isn't ever going to be enough. And that's where like that saying, I think that like hard work always beats talent, at least eventually is because of that. If you work your ass off at something and you're really passionate and love it, eventually you're going to beat or catch up and beat over uh, people that are just super talented or comes naturally at something. And we saw that tonight. You know, Philadelphia technically have the two best players on the court in Joel Embiid and James Harden. I wouldn't say James Harden is the second place best player on the court, but I think a lot of people of other people would. But Miami have a roster of guys that just know how to play as a team and they all give a hundred percent of themselves. And they're all working towards the same goal. No one's trying to be the MVP. No one's trying to show off. Um, yeah, and that's that's what you need out of a team. You know, it was another one of those games where it was that bad, the lead that Miami had on Philadelphia in the second half, where Miami pulled out all of its best players, took out Jimmy Butler, took out Bam Adebayo, took out Tyler Hero, sat everyone down and was like, let's put in our B and C team. And Philadelphia still have their best plays in the game. And Miami's lead kept growing. Philadelphia were not able to reel back in this lead. And like I said, it was a blowout victory by almost 40 points. And I think it points back to, again, what I talked about with Joel Embiid still being a little bit butthurt about not uh, winning the MVP award. He gave a really interesting press conference after the last game where he was saying, you know, I, what more do I have to do to be the MVP? And, you know, okay, from now on, I'm going to be putting everything in. 
on winning the championship. And hearing those quotes, it's like, okay, so what were you doing before? What were you doing before with your energy? You're saying now you're, you're going all in? You want to know what it takes to win this award? Go all in on winning the championship from the first regular season game, or at least from the playoffs. You shouldn't be have the mindset, I want to be the MVP. Just be the best player you can, be the best player you can for your team, and go out there and, and try your best. And if you really are that guy, if you're playing well as a team, people are going to recognize you. That's why Giannis won all those MVPs. That's why Steph Curry wins all the MVPs. They just go out and they're team players and they're not caring about all the personal accolades. It's total locked in on winning, winning, a, cha- winning a championship and being a champion. And, you know, saying, oh, moping around, I don't know what it's going to take. You know, I have all these good stats, 30, 30 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. You know what? The other two finalists also had the same stats. So you know what it takes? Go out and do better. Go and give me 35 points. 37 points is your average. Go up to 13, 14 assists. You can't say, what else do I need to do? Do more. And maybe you think, Tom, that's too much. He's always he's already trying his best. Um, work out how to get that little 1%, 2% more. Um, if you want it badly enough, you're able to do it. And again, if you just think about it, not as an award, but I'm trying to win a championship, you're going to pull everything out of yourself to make sure you win games. And to win games, you're going to do what Giannis does of just give me the ball. Our team's down. I need it. This is not about me getting 30. It's about me scoring every possession. And if you score every time you have the ball, you're going to get 40, 50 points. So go and do it. Have that mindset. Don't be, oh, I don't know what else I could do. Do more, Joel Embiid. Um, And no one's saying you have to be like that. But don't complain that you're not on that pedestal if you're not putting in the same work as all those people. Show us if you can do it. Staying in the Eastern Conference for the next matchup, we had the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics. And we had games five and six in that series just a couple of days ago. And again, last time I left you guys or talked about it, it was two all in that series. So, you know, we had game one and two where it was in Boston and Milwaukee's able to steal a, a game away from home in game one. And then Boston holding serve, um, doing what they should have done in game one and winning at home, so it's one all. And then Boston going on the road in game three, stealing a win, and Milwaukee tying back up in game four, so it's two all. And now we have games five and six. So game five was really a roller coaster ride. Um, it was at Boston, and man, the Bucks came out and just had so many turnovers. Again, similar to what the 76ers were sort of doing, where people are not moving around, getting the ball in Giannis's hands, but just sort of standing around, hands in pockets. Go on, Giannis, put on a show. You know, I'm an NBA professional athlete on the floor with you right now, but I won't move around. I won't call for the ball. I won't pass it uh, to anybody else but Giannis. Go and put on a show. You dunk the ball or you get us points. I'll just stand out here and get paid and do nothing, basically. 
Um, so Giannis had to do it all. And Boston was playing insane. They came out and scoring lots of points, hitting all their shots, and came out with this like their small lineup. So they're playing four shooting guards, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and uh, Cedric Wyatt, as well as uh, they had their big at the five, Al Horford, but he's not like a Giannis big or tall, that sort of thing. He's more of a, a Draymond Green uh, type of player and his stature. So had a small lineup and they had the advantage in terms of speed and agility over the Bucks, and just had their way with them the whole, most of that game where they're able to run around, drive towards the basket, push defenders back and then turn around, run back towards the three-point line. The Bucks defenders are sort of in a daze, confused, trailing behind by a couple of steps. Boston have a wide open shot, uncontested by Milwaukee because they're running around more agile, speedier, quicker, and just hitting their shots. Whereas then coupling that with Milwaukee's turnovers and just expecting Giannis to win in the game, to be fair, at halftime, Boston only had, you know, a 10-point lead, and that was basically because Giannis already had 20, 25 points, 12 rebounds, a few assists. Um, He was keeping them in that game wholeheartedly. Um, One thing of Giannis, though, is that it's been, you know, massive respect to him developing all aspects of his game. You know, two, three years ago before he won the MVPs, people just looked at him like, you know, all he can do is he's this big-bodied freak athlete, super tall, muscly, basically the Hulk uh, in real life, outside of, like, the Marvel or superhero universe, but on the basketball court, just runs down the court like a steam train, um, bullying his way, and all he can do is dunk the ball. He can't actually shoot, he can't really defend, he can't shoot three-pointers, but in the last few seasons, he's worked on all those little weaknesses or criticisms that people have had of him that you know he can't shoot then he's gone in the offseason and developed different spin moves or a mid-range jump shot or even now he's working on his three points as well as his free throw shooting as he used to be like Shaquille O'Neal like people would just want to foul him and go he's so terrible at free throws that you know he's a guaranteed dunk if we don't foul him so let's foul him he'll miss his free throws then we have the ball again um, no points lost. All we had to give up was a foul. So everyone would just take turns at fouling him to try to win the game. Anyway, he's de- he's developed all these moves now. He's developing his free throw shooting. He's put time and effort and energy into that. Developed all those different spin moves so he's not unidimensional, even with his dunking, and has a great jump shot, especially from the mid-range. And now he's working on his threes a little bit. That's the latest thing. But in this game... He shot too many three-pointers, and we'll get to it in the fourth quarter where he he saved them a bit with his three-pointers, but in the start of the game, he was taking, like I say, Steph Curry or Damian Lillard type of shots where, I don't know, if you're the Celtics and you're watching Giannis, basically a guy who looks like the Hulk, shoot three-pointers over you and not be physical, not try to like step over you and walk all over you, you're going... Thank you, Giannis. Do more of that. (laughs) And he wasn't hitting his shots. Like this whole playoff series, he's only hit 
till this game, up until this game, he'd only hit two three-pointers out of 17 shots. So what's that percentage like? Not even not even 10% or just over 10%? Yeah, something like that. So like I said, if you're seeing that, you're going, Giannis, yes, shoot more of those. Keep missing those. Don't drive towards the basket. Please don't run me over. I'd rather see you stop and shoot over the top of me. Also, another thing with this game, especially in the first like half or three quarters of the game, was they talk about with in the playoff time, especially with NBA and with lots of sports, like, you know, the referees swallow their whistles. You know, things that were a foul or things that used to be called or blown on in the regular season, it it's not called in the playoffs. The playoffs, the intensity is raised. They expect or the consumer and the league wants more physicality. They allow for more physical plays. So the referees are more lenient with it. They allow, like I've talked about, a bit more shoulder barging and hand checking and elbows and uh, running people off the ball. And Milwaukee throughout the first half or three quarters of this game was every time they drive to the basket, you know, they did get fouled. And halfway as they're shooting, they're going like, ah, hey, ref, and looking at the ref and the ref wouldn't do nothing. They wouldn't say anything and putting up a shot that was weak or been affected by the foul. And it just was like, oh, it's such a tricky position because it's like, it's a shame. And there's so many, yeah, it's a shame. And there's so many games, you know, there's 80 games where you get used to the referees calling fouls a certain way. And then you have to switch your mindset and mentality to go, I'm going to be tougher. I'm going to be stronger. And I'm going to play through more contact in the playoffs because that's just how it's going to be. It's not right, but that's how it is. And I just would have wanted Milwaukee in those moments to go, rather than look at the ref and appeal for it, you know, trust that referees watching and they're going to make the right call if they see it, but don't be looking at the ref saying foul, foul and try to shoot or do something or not shoot and then give up a turnover like traveling or stepping um, or do a bad shot. Just play, try to play your best and don't look at the referees, try to shoot without looking at them. Like don't give them the death stares as you're getting fouled and go foul ref, come on and pull up the Hail Mary, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, fight through it. Expect that they're not going to be called and try to adjust around it. So like I said before, that Celtics were having their way with this game as they had the this, this small lineup and were just quicker and more agile than Milwaukee and the Bucks couldn't respond to it. They, they didn't have as good um, or as high caliber um, shooting guards to bring on to match their speed and agility, who were just as good. So Celtics built up a, bi- a big lead, especially through Jalen Brown in that third quarter, who had 16 points, who were, did it like a mirror of Chris Paul's performance from a, a few weeks ago now against the Pelicans, where he, he basically didn't miss a shot. And it went into the fourth quarter with Boston leading by 15, 16 points. And all Milwaukee could do was basically just come out and go you know, it's like, it's likely we're going to lose this game. We're down a, a big margin. How do we catch up in basketball? What's the most points, amount of points we can get at a time? It's three pointers. So let's just try to shoot a lot of threes and see what happens. And they did. They shot lots of threes 
and they hit their shots. It was crazy. Even Giannis towards the end was hitting a few clutch threes and they were able to bring down that lead, force a few turnovers, force a bit of pressure onto Boston and then suddenly Milwaukee was only down one point in that final sort of 10, 20 seconds and Giannis gets fouled, goes to the free throw line, uh, hits the first shot and so they're down just one point at this stage, I think, 107 to 106 and Giannis, like I said, he's been working on his free throws but then pressure, clutch situation, ends up missing the free throw. But then Boston, or like, you know, like if you're at the beach and you've got, you know, hot chips, it's a nice sunny day and all the seagulls come uh, flying over and you're like, I know I shouldn't feed them, but they're asking it like in Fido Nemo, like they're like, mine, 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 mine. They're begging for the chips, so you throw one up, and there's a pack of, like, 50 seagulls, and it's never the first seagull that uh, touches the chip ends up getting it. It's always jumps around. They're all fighting for it, and then somewhere in the scraps, one lucky seagull just comes up with it. And that's what happened on this free throw. You know, Giannis puts up the free throw. Everyone's trying to get it. It's only 10 seconds to go. He misses it. It rebounds. A Boston Celtic player gets it. And then another Bostic Celtics player uh, snatches it out of his hands for some reason, knocking it out of his hands, and it just falls in the lap of the Bucks player, Bobby Portis, and then he's under the ring and just goes, okay, thank you, puts it up, hits the shot off the backboard, and then suddenly Milwaukee's up 108 to 107. And then with some great defensive plays uh, by Drew Holiday, Boston was not able to score, so then... Uh, the Bucks steal Game 5 at Boston. Oh, insane. And then now they were in the driving position, up 3-2, coming back to Milwaukee. And I bet they were going, come on, guys, we can't relax here. You know, we relaxed in Game 4, and the Celtics stole a win when it was on our home floor. Like, we should have won that game. This series could be over if we won that game. You know, don't relax. We're going to play really aggressive. Just because we're at home, it's not going to be easy. So that's what I think they were thinking going into game six. But it obviously didn't last very long. Boston came out in game six and did the exact same strategy, played their shooting guards, played really small, and then this time built up the same lead. The exact same thing happened as game five. Bucks just relied on Giannis. Giannis tried to keep him in it. The lead just got too much from Boston Celtics, and they never gave it up. They didn't uh, give it well, give away any turnovers in the fourth quarter. Milwaukee tried the three-point strategy again, didn't really hit their shots, and then Boston Celtics walked away with a with an easy win. You know, Giannis still had a crazy game. He had, I think, forty-five points, twenty-two rebounds, and like eight assists. But the problem was, he was the only one. Nobody else on his team, I think, even was in double figures in points. Whereas for the Celtics, Jason Tatum, their star player, had 44 as well. But then Marcus Smart had 26. Jalen Brown had 24. Um, Cedric White had like 16. So basically every Boston Celtics player was in double digits. And then you have a guy who drops 40 whereas the Bucks only have the Greek freak Giannis 
able to get his 40-piece chicken nugget meal and everyone else is just eating scraps or waiting waiting for the leftovers. So, man, another Game 7. Just like the Suns and Mavs, tomorrow, Game 7, Bucks versus Celtics at the Celtics. And you know what's a big deal? Is I think back to the last game of the regular season where both the Celtics and the Bucks had the exact same record, the exact same standings, the exact same wins and losses. So they technically were both tied second, but the Bucks just off tiebreaker were third. And they went into that last game going, okay, we're happy with our position, the Bucks. We're going to sit all our players. Just in, we don't want what happened to Dallas to happen to us. You know, we don't want to play... Luka Doncic and he gets injured. You know, we don't want to get play Giannis and he gets injured. We're going to sit and we're happy with being third. But the Celtics, they're like, no, we want to make sure that we come second. We want to make sure that if it matters later on, if we need home court advantage, that we have it. So we're going to play and risk the health of our star players like Jason Tatum. And they won the game and no one got injured. It was kind of big brain because now game seven is back in Boston. And like I said before, home ground advantage is huge, especially in these game sevens. Even if they're wild and unpredictable, I wouldn't want to play a game seven must win away from home. So man, big brain strategy from Boston Celtics. But if you're Milwaukee, you would go, hey, we've already won twice away from home. So We're happy. We're happy going to Boston and trying to spoil the party. Oh, it's going to be must-watch TV tomorrow. Definitely watch these games live. Last matchup in the NBA uh, playoffs to cover is going back out west and covering what's been happening with Golden State, the number three team out there, versus our number two team in the west, the Memphis Grizzlies. So we left off last time with this series being 3-1, where Golden State is up three wins to Memphis's one, and that unfortunate injury to Ja Morant in that game four. So game five uh, in Memphis, Memphis must win, like a win or go home. And boy, did they win. They blew out Golden State 130 to 80 in this game. My goodness, with no Ja Morant. And you know what's crazy? Like the first quarter, Golden State was only down one point, 29 to 28. But it just takes into account, or this game's a a result of, you know, Memphis's urgency and stepping out without Ja Morant. Um, The big guys on their team, Steven Adams, Jackson Jr., crashing the boards, securing offensive rebounds. Like I said, This is where Memphis was supposed to dominate Golden State in the first few games, but didn't. And they finally worked out the formula. Hey, we are taller than these guys. We're able to stretch up higher and should be able to grab the ball before Golden State gets it. So they were securing rebounds, securing second and third chance points, able to use that advantage on the defensive end as well, you know, building a wall in front of, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, making sure that they don't have easy points or any second chance points if they miss. So, yeah, huge effort by Memphis. 
Helped out by Golden State turning the ball over, though, 22 times uh, in the whole game. And then Memphis just had a crazy third quarter as well. They scored 42 points compared to Golden State's 17. And, you know, Memphis had 30 free throws versus Golden State's 13, giving you an indication of the physicality of the game. You know, Memphis driving to the basket more, getting fouled, hitting those and-one shots, whereas Golden State not really driving, no points in the paint, just lots of sort of uh, risky or Hail Mary sort of three-point shooting. This game was such a blowout that at halftime, it was like 90 to 40. And Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, uh, the Warriors assistant coach, um, he'd already pulled them all out of the game going, we've lost this game, no point risking any injuries, let's run it back game game six. Um, I, had a, I had a funny thought with this game because the Warriors coach, Mike Brown, the assistant coach who was coaching this game because Steve Kerr's still out with COVID, he just last week was signed to be the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Um, terrible team, terrible, terrible team. They've been either last or second last in the Westerns Conference for the man, the last five or ten years. Terrible, terrible team. <laughs> so they need to poach some good coaching from Golden State. But if I was a Sacramento Kings fan or player watching this game going, damn, that's our coach for next year coaching this game? That's our coach getting blown out in a historic loss in the playoffs? Um, <laughs> any cool-off period to that contract, guys? <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. Crazy, yeah, crazy blood. I just did not expect that from Memphis, but then also Golden State too. You just would have thought and known Memphis is going to come out really intense, really aggressive, not going to just lie down. Um, every game in this series has been close so far. You're going to have to really put them away. They're not going to just hand you the win. So hopefully Golden State learns their lesson in game six and... They'll be back at home. Hopefully they can use the momentum from the home crowd and that will keep pushing them throughout the whole game. Um, even still, like, don't don't take Steph Curry and Clay Thompson out as much. Like, it's going to be more of an intense game. When you think those guys are getting a little bit tired, try to just leave them in the game that little one or, you know, 30 seconds longer, one minute longer, two minute longer. So you can try to build up that lead a little bit more and give them 30 seconds, one minute less rest. So you can try to, uh, get more, get more points and not rely on your bench players as much. Try to have your star players have a huge game. So yeah, Golden State still looked a bit sluggish from Game 4 and Game 3 last week where they were just able to luckily hang on in those games. So we'll see what happens in Game 6. Alrighty, then we had Game 6. Back on Warriors turf, back on their home ground, and finally someone said, enough is enough. Okay, Memphis, they're playing their tall guys, they're out, uh, out muscling us, they're out uh, like doing more physicality on their play. Um, we need to be physical, we need to be strong, we need to rebound the ball. And Jonathan Kaminga and Anthony Wiggins stepped up having 
I think like 35 rebounds between the two of them. Pretty sure Wiggins had 22 for the game. Kaminga had 12 or 13. Um, All of the starting lineup for the Warriors had over 10 rebounds themselves. So that just shows, I guess they must have had a big talk on that bus ride home or back when they got home and watched the the film of that game five and game four going, no more. We can't, we have to uh, do more with our effort and our energy and we have to box these big guys out and we have to know that that's the tactic they're going to use now and we need to be ready for it. Someone needs to stand up. So it was great to see a team effort standing up against that. And game six, Clay Thompson. Man, we have missed it for a while. But Clay Thompson, the Golden State Warriors point guard, shooting guard, he turns up in game sixes. Even he says it himself, he doesn't know what it is, but game sixes, he is the MVP of those games. So he came out, hit eight three-pointers in the game, had uh, 34 points, had a few field goals, a few three throws as well, but just really clutch, timely three-pointers. And wasn't trying to do too much, just perfect catch-and-shoot three-pointers. You want to know what you know a beautiful three-point shot looks like? Just watch the highlights of this game. Watch Clay Thompson shoot. My goodness, it is like... It's like art. It's like poetry in motion. It's like someone should, should make that into an F- NFT. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry shooting three-pointers. Sign me up to buy that. One Ethereum, one Bitcoin on that. <laughs> um, so when, when Golden State comes with that energy and with that determination, that focus that they're not going to be out-rebounded and they're going to be more aggressive and they know that Memphis is playing for their lives, win or go home, crowd was behind them that game, they're able to take that game 110 to 96. So easy closeout for the Warriors there. Glad to see them get it done. Massive advantage, like like I've talked about before. They get that one game's extra rest over who they're going to play, either Dallas or Phoenix. We don't know at the moment. But Golden State is waiting for that opponent, and similar Miami is waiting for Boston and Bucks, the winner of that game. Both of them have a massive advantage now to sit back, watch with the popcorn who wins those games, self-scout with the team, You know, have, have all the team over for a barbecue, bit of a party, watch how it's going, um, get ready for it. Yeah, going to be interesting to see who the matchup for the next round is going to be. Okay, and then just wrapping up this episode with one question from our Q&A segment. Um, Follow me on Instagram at TomPatterson97. Send in your questions or suggestions or feedback. Um, anything you want me to talk about. Um, so Joseph writes in, he's saying, you talked a little bit about MLB, the baseball uh, going on at the moment in that crazy match between the Philadelphia Phillies and New York Mets. It was great to hear about a little bit of that. Uh, big baseball fan. Um, why don't you talk about baseball more? Or yeah, what are your thoughts about the MLB? Um, appreciate that, Joseph. Yeah, why, why am I not following the MLB as much or talk about that as much. Uh, A few reasons behind that. Um, Did you know, if you're not familiar with MLB and baseball, there's their season, just the regular season, 
is 162 games. Every team plays 162 games. That's more than any other sport or season, you know, even more than NBA. You know how I like to talk about that? I've mentioned it quite a few times, you know. Did you play today? No? Well, you're playing tomorrow. Or it's still, did you play today? Well, yes. Oh, okay. Well, you're still playing tomorrow. Baseball is exactly the same and probably 10 times worse. And it makes it really hard to follow. And different to sort of like the NFL or NRL or AFL, where it's just weekly games, you can really keep track of exactly what's going on. The casual fan and the diehard fan um, find it easy to follow. Um, Man, it just makes like... Every game matters in the NRL and AFL or NFL, right? If your team loses, it's a big blow because there's a limited amount of games. It's like a supply-demand thing. Huge supply, not big demand, right? Or a little supply, it means a huge demand. Every game matters. Like, if your team, your team wins, it's like, wow, we... It's one step closer to the playoffs, so there's only, like, five or six matches to go. We really need to get all the wins we can. Baseball, it's like, oh, we won. What does it really mean? We just won another game. It doesn't, you know, now we're 20 wins, 20 losses, and still 100 games to go. Like, it it just, it doesn't matter. So that's a big reason. Another thing, you know, baseball is kind of dying because it hasn't embraced, you know, social media and is very America's pastime, but even they can't even call themselves that anymore. I think basketball is now America's pastime or NFL is America's pastime at the moment, you know. Previously, or it's too traditional, the baseball at the moment, where what the NFL and NBA love to do is embrace social media and getting fans involved, teams celebrating, like you're always seeing different highlights of, you know, a really cool play, like a one-hand catch or a, a crazy dunk, and then They allow their players to express themselves, to have personalities, and to celebrate big plays or great defense. In baseball, it's very much very gentleman's game, and the referees and the higher-ups at baseball don't like any personalities. You know, such a... What they're trying to get out of the game is when someone hits a home run, which is very rare... Sometimes the batter who hit the home run will do like a bat flip, like a cool little trick with their bat and kind of like stare down the pitcher and go, have some of that. Like I just whacked you 200 meters out of the park, have some of this and like flip the bat, toss it as a bit of a statement. And then if that happens, like the umpires might throw you out the game or there's serious fines and that sort of stuff. But the fans love to see that. And You know, you you do an extraordinary play, something that's rare in baseball, like these pitchers are throwing it at like 150 miles an hour or 150 kilometers an hour, 100 miles an hour, very quick. Um, And you're able to get bat on ball and smack it over his head back out of the stadium. Like, I don't know, you should be jumping for joy. You should be doing backflips. You should be doing crazy bat spins. Um, but it's just not allowed. Like there's just no personality in the sport. It's, oh, I hit a a big dinger. I've, I've hit a, uh, hit it out the ground. Okay. I'll just leisurely walk around the bases and, you know, not even high five, just shake my teammates' hands. Like, yeah, woo, great job, Tom. 
good home run, and then take my seat again. It's boring. It's boring for the players, which means it's boring for the fans. Um, bring it back. Bring it back to the 80s, 90s era of MLB. If you're not familiar with that, everyone was juiced up like Lance Armstrong at a Tour de France, you know, on all the steroids, all the human growth hormones, and they were pumping balls out of the park then. That's when baseball was entertaining. The scores were like 11 to 8 home runs. It would finish in a game. Now, lots of games, it's like, you know, 2-0, 1-0. Who wants to go to a baseball game and and have it be a soccer score? Like, you want it to be like a 15 to 10 sort of game and be really fast-paced and lots of action. You know, I, that's what... I, I say bring back the days of, of the steroids and get everyone juiced up again. Let them use metal bats instead of the wooden bats. You'll, like, you'll hit baseballs to the moon. Um, oh, man. There's another thing, <laughs> just another story with baseball. Um, if you're familiar with baseball, you'll know about the Houston Asteroids, Asteroids, Astros, uh, and the cheating scandal that happened just a few years back. The Houston Astros are a very good team in baseball and they won the 2019 World Series, I think, or the 2018 World Series, but they did it uh, through cheating. So they were very clever with how they cheated too. So they would hook their players up to this like electrical system, like a walkie-talkie, but then attach some like electrical pads to the person's chest in like under their jersey. And what they would do is like wear that while they were batting. And then someone like a coach or another player was on the sideline and sending like electrical shocks, like little buzzes, little beeps onto that person's chest to be like, okay, this pitcher, he is likely to do a fastball or like in baseball, you know how like if you've watched it before, the pitcher behind the batter will do different, like almost like gang signs, like throw up like, you know, number two, number one, then number three, number then number four. And then that's, he's communicating a message with his uh, fingers and those gang signs to the pitcher about what, um, what type of pitch he should throw. And then, so the coach of the Astros or a player would watch the live broadcast on TV, see what the catch is saying do a few buzzes on the electrical radio that's hooked up to the batter's chest to tell him, oh, they've just signaled that he's going to do a fastball. Be ready for that. And then it would be, he'd smack it, they'd hit a home run, and they just couldn't stop hitting home runs. It's like they knew exactly what the opponent was pitching. So they broke down all the codes from all around the league about different teams and what they would pitch, uh, what ball was going to come up next. But then they got caught out. Um, one day there, one of the players for the Astros likes to take his shirt off whenever he celebrates after hitting a home run and he took his shirt off and he forgot that he was wearing the electrical device. And then everyone was like, what's that under there? Why do you have that? And he was like, oh shit. <laughs> so they ended up getting stripped of that title. Anyway, bring back that era too. Allow, bring back the electrical pads of the Astros and get everyone juiced up and want to see home runs, want to see action. Too many uh, 1-0 games in baseball and it's true traditional. They don't allow celebrations and too many games. 
no one cares. If there's 162 games and then there's playoffs, um, you know, I'll, everyone knows the big teams in baseball and there's no real salary cap to keep it all in check. Like NFL, NBA, even like NRL, AFL, there's like a salary cap that teams stick to. That's why that film with Brad Pitt and what was it Jonah Hill, uh, Moneyball, is so famous is because they beat all the big money teams like the Yankees and the LA Dodgers through analytics. And it changed MLB and it changed sport forever using the technology and sports analytics um, revolutionized the game. So it's funny because the salary cap though isn't real in, in MLB. Like all of... Billy Beans, Oakland A, uh, minions who came up with all that money ball and spreadsheets and analytics now all go and got hired by the big teams. They were like, okay, you can fool us one year, but um, nope, we'll come and do that for our teams and we'll pay you a premium. We'll give you that any money, uh, like the FU money, any money you want, come and do it for us, you know. We don't need you to do it. We could just buy the best players, but now we can buy the best players and have the analytics. So, And then especially if there's no salary cap in MLB, the same teams are always good. So it's always like the LA Dodgers, uh, Houston Astros, um, Yankees, yeah, Washington Nationals recently. Um, exactly. So my approach, Joseph, with the MLB is the World Series is usually in October each year. So I wait for the World Series, which is like the finals of MLB, see which two teams are in it. If I like, if I find those two teams interesting, then I'll wait till about, again, it's like a seven-game series like NBA. I'll wait till maybe game four or game five until an elimination game and then watch it from there, if at all. So that's my take on MLB. It's a bit of a dying sport. I want to see people... Uh, make it relevant again, make it interesting, make the games matter, get them all juiced up, um, let them play, let them have fun. I want to see personality. Alrighty, that's all I have today. It's been a, a good episode. Talked about what's been happening in the soccer, the FA Cup, bit about hockey, bit about N M MLB just then, and then we've caught up on our... NBA playoffs, and we'll, I'm keen to see what happens in those Game 7s tomorrow. Uh, let me know who you think is going to win. Uh, apart from that, though, thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here. Uh, whatever time it is for you, wherever you are, I hope you're having a great day. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.